Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Welcome back. Uh, We're going to be studying Esther 7 and 8 today. Before we do that, though, we're going to jump into our new kind of, I guess, segment uh, where we kind of talk about our highs and lows from the past week. Um, So, Garrett, do you want to kick this off? Yeah, and I mean, in general, I think we really like this type of thing because it just, we want to make sure that you guys understand that, like, there there are, not everything is just, like, you we're we're doing everything right all the time. I mean, there's, there's definitely things that, you know, that we struggle with during the week, but there's also yeah. really awesome things that happen on every, you know, every day as well. And it, yeah. being it, thankful too. It, yeah. it does two things. It's like, it helps us, you know, humble ourselves and see, you know, what could we improve on, but also like see our blessings. And because I mean, like we have to work, it's crazy. We have to work for, the like figuring out well what was a high this week you know it's like whenever it comes up you're like oh write it down so that we can talk about it and it's like well if we don't write it down then it's hard for us to remember which is really interesting yeah you know how we do that to ourselves it's actually like easier to remember the hard things that you had to deal with this week than it is to remember the good things so if you don't work sad we have to like train ourselves to like remember those things to be grateful for yeah so if you don't like work to do that then it's really hard so like you got to actually like do you know actually make a a point to try to remember those things and i know you kind of like write them down every day of like these are the things that i'm grateful for and it's like whenever you speak them then it changes changes you and so uh i guess with my high this week uh, this is kind of silly, I guess, um, but uh, I I love um, at night. I love to read books. Like I I'll just you know, I have a lot of different books that I'm trying to go through right now. And through the entirety of our marriage, uh, Melissa has hated my lamplight. Every time we go to sleep, I'll have the lamplight on and I'm reading a book, and she like has these angry rolls. To like, be she... <laughs> to be clear, he likes to start reading his book at about eleven p.m. <laughs> Well, I used to. Well, I used to would come in the room after like playing a video game or something. You'd be already asleep. Yeah, like one a.m. Come flip, in and turn on yeah, a lamp. And then I would flip a lamp on and start reading a book. And so, but anyways, it, uh, she has like these angry rollovers, allegedly like, in, the, in the bed where she'll like grab all the covers and rip them off of me, and it's like she's acting like she's asleep, but she's really just like angry that the light is on. And I've asked her multiple times. To get me just a dimmer light, you know, and it'll and then everybody will it'll be fine, um. And so I bought this is my high now, uh, is yeah. that I, <laughs> I bought a little book light, um, that it, that clips onto my books, and uh, so that I can read with the really dim light, so that I don't keep Melissa up, and uh, and she can she can go to sleep and never know the difference that I'm reading a book. And then Although she he did prop his book up against my back last night. Well, now so, I can read in any position yeah. because I have this sweet book light that moves with my book, and and so um, I can read in like on my left side or on my right side or on my back. And so now I can turn over on my left side, which I've not been able to do since I since we've been married. <laughs> I can't turn over on my left side and read a book. Now I can. Uh, 
And so that's kind of my high uh, this week. And my my low um, is just that um, if you haven't, if you know me at all, you know that like I'm very passionate about a lot of things. And so like whenever I go after something, I go really hard at it. And uh, and that's a really good thing sometimes, but sometimes that really gets me into trouble um, because I do feel so passionate about something and I want other people to be passionate about it. And whenever they're not and they don't fulfill like those expectations that I like project on them, uh, it causes me to be frustrated and then I get angry about something. And so like that happened today and like at work and that, you know, it's like I don't I don't see things going the way that I want them to. And my response to that, like, I don't have, I'm not full of patience and I'm not full of gentleness and yeah, kindness. Yeah, I love how you said, we were talking about this earlier, and you said you're full of zeal, but that that's not yeah. a fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, I'm full of zeal, but zeal isn't a fruit of the Spirit. And I, I think a lot of times we like, at least for me, you know, I think I elevate zeal as if it's something really important, but it's like, you can have zeal for a lot of things that are bad. And, you know, so it's just like, don't, it, it it can be a good thing if used the right way. Um, but whenever it controls you and it takes you over and you start pe- treating people the wrong way, you don't treat people with the respect that they deserve, uh, and you hurt that relationship. It's like, what, what, what was that worth then? Right. You know, what good did that do? And I, I let that get control of me a lot. Um, where it's really hard and I, I've really tried to work on it. Um, and, but just sometimes it gets the best of me and I have to sit back and wonder like, well, who, you know, the fruits of the spirit are, you know, the, the ones that I really key in on with this type of thing is gentleness and patience and kindness and self-control of like, whenever I let my zeal get the best of me in those moments, those four fruits of the spirit aren't being produced and I'm not loving. I don't have any joy with it. Right. And so it's like, well, if those things aren't being produced, then whose spirits at work here? Right. And if it's not the Holy spirit, is it my, you know, my spirit's the one that's running the game and, then, you know, and we've talked a little bit about this just in the last month with the spirit. And so thinking about how, you know, man has his own spirit and we'll kind of talk about this in another episode, but man has his own spirit, but there's also the Holy Spirit that is like indwelling in us. And you kind of have that battle between like who, whose spirit's going to win out. Are you going to give yourself over to that and let those types of things produce? Or are you going to give over to your fleshly desires and a lot of those things to rule you. So I, I just, I battle with that. It's something that I battle with like just about every day of like, how do I respond to people? Um, and not like project things onto them and make them, you know, want them to be the way that I want them to be. Um, and instead respond with love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. You know, how can I, how can I do that? So, that that's kind of my low because that really I really hate it whenever I can sit back and see like, well you were a total turd you know <laughs> right whenever you did that I mean and you felt like you were like have this righteous indignation for something but really whenever you sit back and reflect on it you realize you're just a big goober yeah and so I don't know that's my low for this week well I'll go ahead and get get my low out of the way um I think just in general. Over the past week since, like, Caleb got sick last week, my, like, internal motivation just hasn't been at the level that it normally is. 
and it's just caused me to not do some of the things that I know are good for me. Um, I've missed some days of journaling, and like you mentioned earlier, part of my journaling is writing down things I'm thankful for, and so just not doing that and not really thinking about the things that are going well um, has just kind of, you know, I'm just not setting my day out yeah. the way that I want to. I haven't, um, I've missed some days working out in the morning. I'll like, and I'm just realizing the importance for me personally of getting that done in the morning and how much it impacts like my energy level for the whole day. And so it just, it's just been kind of a, a tough week mentally for me. And it's not, there's nothing like big going on other than just like, I just want to kind of snap out of it and mm -hmm. just kind of like take care of myself the way that I know I'm supposed to and kind of do the things and not just, not, not just physically, but just like mentally, you know, doing the things to take care of myself a little bit better in the way that I know that has helped me in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, it's kind of where I'm at with that. But as far as highs, um, I feel like it would be wrong if I didn't have a high that was related to how Caleb came downstairs one morning. I know on a different podcast, I talked about how he rode his bike into our room completely naked. But then this week, he came downstairs with a mask and a cape on, which I had no idea he had even gotten him. I didn't yeah, know. This it. is the picture you sent me. Yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. even know, like, this stuff was in his room. I think I might have posted on Instagram. But, like, I didn't realize he had any of his superhero stuff in his room. And so he just comes downstairs in his mask and his cape. And I'm like, can I take your picture? <laughs> and he's, and he just starts doing all these superhero poses. He doesn't even, he's not here to smile. He's like, this is going to be like a legit this is, photo. I, you, your quote was, I woke up this way. Yeah, yeah. I, I woke up like this. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he was just... He's just, I don't know. I love it when he comes out and he's just like ready for his day in that way. That doesn't always happen, but. I, that's a, it's a rare thing. That day. But it's yes. really good whenever that's, it does happen. That's why it's such a high, high. Um, but also, I guess just one other thing that I'll mention is I'm getting to go on a date night with Garrett. We went to J. Alexander's and they have. That's right. Yeah. The best mac and cheese and. Um, they also have delicious steak, but like you wouldn't necessarily think of like, oh, they have great mac and cheese, but they do. Um, so just fun fact for you. If yeah. And we talked, we talked about this podcast a lot and yeah, we in did. That, well, in that, what we want for this. And so one thing that we are looking for, we're trying desperately to figure out, like, we're wanting to rename it and yeah. like to kind of suit the things that we're wanting to do with this and like reading scripture, but also being open about our open about ourselves. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got any uh, so any suggestions for a podcast name, you know shoot us shoot them to us. Like yeah. I'd love to love to hear what uh, what you guys uh, think we should name it. We, uh, we came up with some ideas, but I guess we'll yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll keep that to ourselves on, and see what they it. say and uh, see if we can get any good ideas from them. Um, but yeah, that was really good too. And the Super Bowl party was awesome. You know yeah, we got to we got to do that at your parents' house and. Um, and so, you know, if you've gotten to meet, uh, Ron and Debbie, I mean, they're just incredible people and like, they're just, they're really servant people. And, um, it's something that like I was able to learn what it, what, what it really means to serve somebody, um, through them. And, you know, so if you got to meet them, they're awesome people and they, uh, you know, they were really excited to have all of our yakkers over for the, the Super Bowl party and, 
you know, so really thankful that all you guys came and, and showed out for that. We were kind of nervous about it, like whether or not we'd have anybody show up. And all right. we had wait, like wait, 70 wait. people. Got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, let's, you give us your best Shakira. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of the highlight of the Super Bowl was Shakira uh, laddling. Uh, and so I don't know. Yeah, that that showed up on a on some gifts already, but they all look really awkward, so you can't really post it to anything. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's uh, the only reason I was willing to do that with you is because we're not on video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah. All right. Um. Well, you ready to? Yeah, let's kick it off. You gonna recap it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm just gonna recap kind of from last week's podcast with um, chapters five and six. So last week we kind of started with when Esther was finally going to the king after the three days of fasting. And it was kind of like a a swift moment of all of a sudden, like, okay, yeah, we were really worried that he was going to kill you. And, but nope, here's his, here's his uh, scepter. You're good. Yep. And, um, she invites King Xerxes to a banquet and invites Haman to come and they come. And she's like, they're like, you know, King Xerxes like, what do you want? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Um, And she's like, how about if you will agree to give me whatever I want up to half the kingdom, if you agree to this, then come to the banquet tomorrow. Yeah. And so it's like a second banquet in two days. And we we talked about how that's like a really smart diplomatic move that she makes. Yeah. Like like, she's super intelligent. She's almost like making it like, if you show up, then that means you're agreeing to do what I'm going to ask, even though I haven't told you exactly what I want yet. Um, so they are about to have this second banquet and Haman goes home and he's telling his friends and his wife about, you know, how awesome it is that Esther invited him to this banquet, that it's only the queen and the king and how, how great that is. But he still has this issue with Mordecai. He just can't get over it. It's just kind of, it's like the one thing that he thinks is keeping him from being ultimately happy. Mm-hmm. And so he goes ahead and builds some gallows to kill Mordecai on, and he intends to talk to the king about it the very next day, um, the very next morning, um, so that he can go ahead and have Mordecai killed. Mm -hmm. And so as a reader, you're a little concerned, like, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to happen before the banquet. What does that mean for Mordecai? Um, But then, ironically, at the same time that Haman's kind of going through this. Mordecai's, I mean, King Xerxes is having a difficult time sleeping. And so he has his, what is it called? It's the the chronicles of his life kind of thing are written. It's like, hey, read me the book about myself. He's like, that's really boring. Can you please read that to me? And so what happens to be read to him is about the time that Mordecai um, saved his life, basically. Let let him know about a um, planned assassination attempt. And and King Xerxes like, hey, we never, we never honored that guy, did we? And his servant or whoever is reading to, I don't remember. Yeah, it's like these eunuch dudes are, you know, they're all eunuchs in this book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's like a thousand <laughs> of them. Um, yeah, they're just like, um, yeah, we didn't ever honor him. So, the king brings Haman in 
to try to be like, hey, I have someone who I want to honor. What would, like, what should we do to honor somebody? And Haman is so arrogant in thinking that the person that the king is wanting to honor is himself, is Haman. And so he's just like, basically, let's treat this guy like a king for the Mm -hmm. day. Like, all the robes, have him on a horse, leading him through the city. Like, have one of your highest nobles or, you know, prince or whatever, lead him through the city, and it'll be, like, this best honor. And then the the table's kind of flipped mm-hmm. <laughs> on him um, because King Xerxes like, that's a great idea. I'm so glad you thought of this for Mordecai. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? You know, um, Mordecai? And so he, Haman is the one who has to go out and kind of like, lead Mordecai through the city as he's as he's being honored and um and and what's interesting like he's still like so he's in the position of like this noble prince yeah actually like Xerxes yeah. sees him as this noble prince and so like he he's so caught up on his anger for Mordecai he can't even recognize like like the highest the, the, noble high, posi- prince. the high position yeah. that he actually is in yeah yeah um and so he is about to be taken, or he's about to go to the banquet. Um, yeah. And he's just kind of really saddened by everything that's happened, Haman is, because he's just had to, like, honor Mordecai in this way before the banquet. And his wife is just like, well, you know, you're... <laughs> Good luck with this. Like, yeah, it just kind of seems a, like it's a very low point. Yeah, um, what a great way. Like, when you're, you, when your wife is saying, well... You're just gonna have. You're just gonna lose. Yeah. You know? <laughs> when no, she, when even no your wife winning. doesn't believe in you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of like where this scene ends, and it's like, well, if he's one of the Jews, you're done for. And it's like, it. it you have this moment where it's just kind of like he's standing there, sad, and all of a sudden, like these eunuchs come and grab him and rip him and take him to the banquet. Yeah. And so you kind of have this yeah. scene set. And so one thing to talk about as we lead into chapter seven. Esther as a whole book, we haven't we haven't really mentioned this up to this point. Esther as a book is what's called a chiasm. It's a literary chiasm, which means that it steps out, uh, and it like it's symmetric. So it like it steps out uh, in certain scenes. It comes to a peak, and then it steps back in in stories that replicate what was before in a different way. Uh, and so you have like scenes that look exactly like the other one, but something different is happening in it. So it's mm-hmm. showing you uh, this, it, it's a symmetrical picture of what's going on. It's kind of, it, it's cut right down the middle in chapter six. So I guess you wouldn't really think of chapter six being the middle, but that's what the, that's the middle of this chiasm of the book when Mordecai is, is put on this horse and he's led around by Haman. So up to this point, Haman has been kind of like, the one at the right hand of the king. Right. Um, and you just had a banquet between Esther and uh, Xerxes and Haman. And, uh, yeah. and now you have this uh, this pivot point that's chapter 6, and we're going to roll into chapter 7, and the chiasm is going to start stepping back. So you're going into this banquet with Esther again. Yeah, so we had the we had the banquet with, with Esther, King Xerxes, Mort, or King Xerxes and Haman. We had the pivot point, right. and now we have, again, another banquet with Esther, Xerxes, Haman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's going to start stepping back out uh, of here's what's, you know, here's what's happening uh, that's equivalent to the previous one. 
Um, so we'll, we'll pick right up and we'll go chapter seven, uh, verse one. It says, so the king and Haman went, went to dine with queen Esther and the king again said to Esther on the second day while they were drinking, what is your petition, queen Esther? It will be given to you. What is your request? It will be given to you. Even half the kingdom. Uh, the queen es- then queen Esther answered and she said, if I have found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it is good to the king, let my life be given to me at my petition and my people at my request. I and my people have been sold to be destroyed and killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because this is not a need sufficient to trouble the king. And King uh, Xerxes said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? who gave himself the right to do this. And Esther said, This adversary, the enemy, is this evil Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and queen. So what do you make of this section? Well, she finally, Esther finally says what she is wanting. Yeah. I think it's interesting that she's, it still doesn't mention she's a Jew. She's just saying my people, like it, it still appears that, King Xerxes doesn't know the group of people that were ordered to be killed. Um, And then we talked a lot about, uh, let's see, it's verse four, Mm -hmm. about, you know, if we had just, if, if the order had just been to make my people slaves... I wouldn't have bothered you with this. Yeah, and so maybe it's like how, you like, know how what what's going on here? What why why would she say something like that? I mean, slavery is a real big deal. I mean, yeah. that's not like something to just uh, you know, would she not have spoken up if they had been slaves? I I think there's some there's a couple different options here of like what is, what does Queen Esther mean with this? I think she's still being very diplomatic. Yeah. Um, and I think she's trying to play on the things that Xerxes would care about. Uh, there's alternate translations to this. What was what was yours that said uh, the footnote in the NIV? Um, it said, I would have kept quiet, but the compensation our adversary offers cannot be compared with the loss the king would suffer. Yeah, so in other words, what she's saying is, if you were to kill off all these people... This would cost you so much more than Haman was offering you. You know, yeah. that there's no there's no uh financial reason to kill off all these people. That doesn't it doesn't make financial sense to you, King Xerxes. You know, and so she's kind of playing on that aspect of it a little bit, um, in that it's like, Hey, if you were just to keep us as slaves, you know, I wouldn't bother you, but you're gonna kill our whole people. This doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make financial sense. Uh, so she's playing on that a little yeah. bit. So don't think I don't I don't want the, to to think that she's like demeaning this slavery. I think she's playing the game. Yeah. I think I think she's still, you know, still trying to be diplomatic to King Xerxes to say like, hey, this isn't just an emotional thing for me. You know, this isn't just me. You know, being like, oh, you're gonna kill all my people, and so now I'm bringing this to you just because it's my people. This doesn't make for sense for you as a king. Right. Even if I, even if you weren't married to me, this doesn't make sense for you as a king. So yeah. she's she's playing on that, I guess, that wisdom, too, of just like, it's not just about me. You know, this is going to hurt you, too. Yeah. And another um, another way that you can look at it is of just like, well, 
God even I know God is not mentioned at all in this book. We've talked about that. I think every podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of like if they were just slaves, there's still a time for God to redeem them. Yeah, you can play um, more of the long them, game. Yeah, yeah, to kind of pull them out of slavery. Yeah, again. Yeah. So and the, and that's not something like for them. That's totally within God's character. Right. You know, and so that you would. He is the God who saves people from slavery. Like right. He, he is their liberating God. That like his great movement in their history was the Exodus that liberated them from the slavery of the you know of the yoke of Egypt, and so you can I I guess you could look at it that way. That Esther's like, hey, even if you had sold us into slavery, you know that she's kind of playing the long game. You know, it'd be like I'd be willing to wait and see what happened with that because we know our God. I, and I don't think she would have been felt as like this urgent, um, like this need to go to him. I mean, right. you know, we just, we just read in the last chapter or in chapter four, how scared she was that she was going to be killed if she went right. to the king and then he didn't hold out his golden scepter. Now, he obviously did, but like she didn't know that, and she was worried about right. that. But if they've been so, sold like, into slavery, it's then like, it's like, uh, well, I can maybe wait thirty more days. Right? Maybe next know, time he invites and then I can me, get my you people know. free. Right. Um, so I, I think there's a couple different ways to to maybe look at that of like how how is Esther dealing with that? Is it is it her faith? Is it her playing you know playing the game here? Maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know, uh, but I th- I think that's a, an interesting part of it. Again, I I think we really need to emphasize things that happen in this um, are like revolving. the The key scenes are all at banquets. The things that's happening yeah. are are all at banquets, and um, and so that's what's happening here. And this is the third her. This is the third time that King Xerxes has asked this of her. So mm-hmm. it's almost like he's like begging her, please tell me. And so like she's. She's got him on his like toes, you know. Like she, he's like sitting here begging her to to make your petition. I want to give you whatever it yeah. is that you ask, and so through all of this, it's like this patience has really paid off for her. Yeah. And uh, that, um, you know, it it and his response is just fury. And I think her posture of humility, like yeah. just the way that she asks things, like, you know, oh king, like. Yeah. If it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. Like, she's just very, I don't know. I just feel like in this entire book, she just approaches things with such humility in, like, very, um, like, not very obvious ways, you know. I don't know. Yeah. I just think that goes a long way for her, especially with someone like King Xerxes. Yeah. And so his his response then to this and to Esther is he just, is now he he's burning with anger uh, towards uh, Haman. And so you want to start reading at verse 7? Yeah. So the king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out to the garden palace. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen? While she is with me in the house, as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows seventy-five feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. 
The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So we've got the king is burning with anger. He just, like, steps out. He's like, I can't deal with this. You know, and so he, like, goes out to walk around in his garden palace. And meanwhile, Esther is, like, sitting on the couch. And I guess the the image here is that Haman is just, like, pandering after her. You know, like, you know, physically begging him, like... It seems like he's, like, touching her, you know, the way that he responds, like, the way that the king responds Spons, to it yeah. whenever he comes back in. Like, he's, like, on her, you know, and begging her to forgive him and to get King Xerxes to, you know, to forgive her. Uh, and so then, again, we have another scene where somebody just immediately responds to what's in front of them. He doesn't ask any questions. Uh, he doesn't try to figure out what happened. What what's he talk? What's she talking about, Haman? Yeah. Uh, he just immediately responds to it, and uh, he sees it, and he's like, "Oh, he's gonna molest my wife in my own house." Um, after and, he's tried to kill her. Yeah. After he's tried to kill her. Yeah. And so it just is like no more than the words came out of his mouth, and then they put a bag over his head, uh, and walk him out, and they're like. And there's a eunuch there that's like, oh, hey, he had a gallows made for Mordecai. I don't know if you knew that, King, but he had, you know, like, because that's the yeah. first time he would have mentioned And he's it. also like, you know, the one who helped you, the one who saved right. you. Right, <laughs> yeah. And so, like, this guy remembers. Um, but the one, that, the one that saved you, he had a gallows made for Mordecai. You should hang him on. Oh, and it's at his house, you know? Yeah. You should, you should, uh. Uh, hang him on that, and then you have the end of evil Haman um, that he is hung on his own gallows. Um, and it says that, and it ends with they hanged him, and the king's anger was abated. So, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I don't know. I I kind of get stuck a little bit on the the part where the king comes in and it's just like, okay, we're going to kill him right now. Um, just because it just, to me, it felt like he saw something else he didn't like. Mm -hmm. And so he just made a justification to make a decision right at that very yeah, moment. It's totally in line with his character so far. Right. Where it's just like no information. Yeah. I mean, like you would think at some point you have all these things that are kind of floating around where like, I feel like if this is a movie, you're like, why don't you just, communicate better like <laughs> what we have here is a failure to communicate it's like Haman doesn't know that Esther is a Jew most likely because she hasn't shared that she with still the hasn't shared that with him and he, he still has no idea and he doesn't know that Mordecai's related to her yeah he still doesn't know that you know he doesn't even know that the Jews have been sentenced to death yeah he still has no idea yeah. yeah he just like he is legitimately just reacting to Esther's saying this man is going to kill my people. Right. Right. But I mean, even Haman doesn't know this. Like, I don't, Yeah. you yeah, know, yeah. Haman wasn't out to kill Esther. Right. You know, it wasn't, he, I, I think if he probably, if he had known she was a Jew, I kind of wonder if he would have tried to like find another way. Like if he would have been like only the male Jews or yeah. like, I don't know if he would have tried to figure out a way because obviously like, killing the queen is probably not going to go over well. Yeah. So, I mean, th th there's just, like, abundance of miscommunication and, like, not, you know, even, like, 
even though Haman is totally evil in this in this book, it's like, you know, he's begging for his life and instead what it's viewed as is like he's gonna molest and rape her, you know, in his own house, basically. You know, that's what is what's what the king assumes is happening. Right. Um And then of course you mentioned something really cool about the gallows. Yeah, and so, and, and be, before before I jump to that, um, I do want to mention, in the previous section, you know, the king asked, like, who who had the audacity to ask, for, you know, to, oh, say, yeah. to do this? And this is something we, we and you talked about. It's like, the king, he's not, he's still not even willing to admit that part, like, this is on him. Yeah. Like, this is, you gave, like, even though Haman did all this and he's pulling all the strings... The king had always had the ability to shut it down. Yeah. And he all, and he just chose not to. And he let Haman run amok and ruin his kingdom, ruin his good world. You know, and it, it's just like what the what in the world, man? Uh you let all of this go and and Haman is the one pulling the strings and yeah, he's evil, but you know, he's got your signet ring. Right. You know, you've let this go. Um so I mean, there, there's something, I think that there's something to be said there with that. I mean, especially with us kind of, we've considered in the past, King Xerxes seems to be this picture of humanity as a whole, who, you know, like we were supposed to rule and reign over all of the, you know, like ruling on God's behalf over his good creation. We gave it over to the deceiver and we allowed him to run amok. Yeah. And we gave up that power to him. You know, and so that doesn't mean, it's like there, there's still this deceiver thing going on here, but it's like, let's not pretend like we didn't give that over. And that like, you know, we kind of have this choice to take it back. Um, There's something going on there with that. Mm -hmm. And yet we still continue and and we're, and we're like, oh, this evil Haman. Uh, Oh, we've heard this before. The serpent did it. You know, it's like that. He's the one that made me do it. So there's that, like that, I think that there's that play still going on here and that King Xerxes still doesn't want to admit or won't see that part of this is his fault. But yeah. Queen Esther is actually like really kind of giving him that grace with that. She's she's going along with that and she's allowing, she's saying, you know, Haman has been pulling the strings here. We need to do away with Haman and then we can deal with what it is that you've done, <laughs> what you have allowed. It's kind of interesting just to think about, like, what, you know, you don't really know what Esther's opinion was of, like, should he be killed, Haman? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we like, we don't really know would Haman have been successful in, like, begging the queen, you know, for his life. Yeah, you kind of get the feeling that maybe it's like, well, I didn't mean for you to kill him. Like, like there wasn't something that that wasn't part of my request. (laughs) My request was that you save my people. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that you kill Haman. Yeah, and so his re- his reaction then again, uh, based off of uh, his advisors, is to to have to have him killed, to have Haman killed. Um, and so then we look. So this is this is the part Melissa was mentioned earlier. I I'm just blown away by the anytime I see this stuff. I I've been really tracking through trees in the Bible recently. That's that's funny. What. I've been really tracking through trees in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Well, anyways, they they occur everywhere. They are everywhere. Uh, anytime that somebody has a meeting with God, man, it is... Uh, there's so many times where it's at a tree. 
Uh, and so, I mean, you have the tree of life, the tree of knowing, knowing good and bad, and then you have, like, and, like, that area, that tree of life is where they met with God in the garden, stuff like that. Anyways, that goes through, um, and you can see Abraham, whenever he has meetings with God, it's like the tree of Mamre, and the, the, there's a, um, there's, so whenever Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain, uh, to be sacrificed, it says that he take so we translate it as limbs or or as like sticks because it's like or wood because it's obviously chopped down. But there's no difference in the Hebrew between a tree and a chopped down tree. There's no there's no difference. It's just a tree. Um, and so he takes the tree and he lays it on the back of Isaac. They go up the mountain. Anyways, this stuff is happening all the time. And so I'm paying. I've like really tried hard to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Well, um, whenever it says that Haman built a gallows, it's that same word. It's, uh, I think it's S, uh, that he builds or that, uh, it's, it's literally the word for tree. It's the same word that's used in the tree of knowing good and evil, the tree of no, or the tree of life, uh, the tree that's laid on the, on the back of Isaac gallows, um, is this word, is this, it's the same Hebrew word. It's a fruit-bearing tree. It's a tree. Um, and so there's no difference between like a chopped down, like I said, it, it could be that it's like chopped up. It's wood, you know, it's sitting there. It's been placed. But for whatever reason, you know, we we translate it because we know how it's being used mm-hmm. to, yeah. to, to execute somebody. Um, but anyways, to get back into the story, it says that Haman built a gallows for Mordecai and instead Haman is destroyed on that gallows. And, uh, again, looking back from Jesus and the things that he did, the way that the gospel writers would write about his death, um, or really the new Testament, like in the letters, uh, you would, in the epistles, you would see that they would start, uh, calling, uh, and an axe is a lot in the acts. Um, the the cross of Calvary becomes the tree. The tree on which he was and which he was executed. Um, they change it from cross to tree, and there's a reason for that. I I think that they very much see him as like it's the symbol of this tree of life. Um, in that where evil thought it was going to have its day, in the death of the Messiah was actually the moment that it was overturned and that it, it itself was destroyed. And so here you have this messianic style character that is Mordecai, who is humble. He is, you know, we're going to see in the next chapter, uh, he gets lifted up kind of thing. Uh, but Haman thinks he's going to destroy that character uh, on these gallows, on this tree. And instead... What he thought was for the destruction of his enemy was actually for his own destruction, and the gospel writers and for the and in the epistles would write that that's where sin met its match, where mm-hmm. sin was condemned to death, uh, where it was destroyed, and then through the resurrection of the Messiah, uh, that we can have new life. Uh, so I, I think it's just fascinating whenever you look at that word gallows. That's the word tree. So it says, look, the same tree that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, who spoke good for the sake of the king, stands at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. 
And the king said, hang him on it. And they hanged Haman on the tree. Um, so I, I just think that that's fascinating. You know, I think we kind of lose that, you know, that tor- sort of repetition whenever we go through there. So I, I just, I see so much uh, of the cross here. And Haman is like that. I mean, he's this, he's this sin, this evil, powers of evil character in this story that's, that's crucified there. That's like, that's hung on the cross in the Messiah. So, I don't know. So there you go. Alright, so let's pick up chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told, had told what he was to her. Um, and the king removed his signet ring that he had taken away from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. So Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. And Esther again spoke before the king, and she fell before his feet and wept, pleading for his grace to avert Haman, the Agagite's evil plan, and the plot that he devised against the Jews. And the king held out to Esther the scepter of gold. And Esther rose and stood before the king, and she said, If it is good to the king, and if I have found favor before him, and if the king is pleased with this matter, and I have his approval, let an edict be written to revoke the letters of the plans of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, and are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to look on this disaster uh, that will find my people, and how can I bear to look on the destruction of my family? And King Xerxes said to Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Look, I have given Haman's house to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he plotted against the Jews. Write as you see fit concerning the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's signet ring for a decree that is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring cannot be revoked. Okay, so this is like the first time that it's kind of brought up that all this was about the Jews. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now all of a sudden it's like, all right, out in the open, Mordecai. Hey, Mordecai is oh, my cousin. Yeah, you like, know, I know you didn't know, but uh, yeah, this surprise. is it. Uh, and he's, you know, he's cool with that. And he's like, oh, um, you can have my signet ring now. Yeah, so he's just like, he's really loose with his signet ring. Yeah. He's like, all right, you get a signet ring, and you get a signet ring. Actually, so there's only one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is just like, he's just kind of like, all right, well, Haman's dead, so... I need somebody, somebody else. Somebody else has got to wear it. Mordecai, you seem like you're up for the job. Uh, so, and he did save his life, you know, and it's been a while, but um, he's he's shown that he's been faithful in a few things, and so here we go. And he's like, here, you know, here's my signet ring, uh, and gives him over the power. Yeah. I think what surprised me the most in this chapter was the fact that Esther is again pleading with the king to save her people. I think you kind of, going back to the last chapter, you're like, I thought we already addressed this. Like, yeah. we already asked, like, hey, will you save me and my people? And we kind of got just overshad that that request i guess kind of got overshadowed by the king's anger with Haman 
that it's like, okay, well, yes, thank you for addressing Haman and how evil he is, but that doesn't fix the problem that we have now. Yeah. We I mean, still it, have a problem. Yeah, it's like, okay, you know, I, I don't know. And going back to that analogy of like, the, the you know, it's sin that's condemned on the cross uh, in in the Messiah, you know, that he takes on and he becomes the sin. Uh, it's like it, to... Those in Acts, it's like it's not like that they think that oh okay well all the problems of sin are gone, you know they're still dealing with the world as it is even though sin has been condemned, yeah, uh, and and destroyed and obliterated on the cross. It's like still there's like these lingering effects and like this well okay now what now what do we do, um and how do we deal with this and so it's like yes the evil one has been destroyed and has been overcome in this story but there's still like the lingering effects of what he's done yeah there's still i mean it doesn't change the fact that when you consider how vast this kingdom is i mean it says multiple times it's like 127 provinces and it's like okay this so just because haman is now dead do, those other those provinces don't know that they mm-hmm. don't you know and at the end of the section that Garrett just read it mentions the fact that no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked and that's pointing back to the fact that Haman did just that with the king's ring and like I remember thinking then that everybody who received that edict thought this was coming from the king Mm -hmm. that the king was saying kill all the jews when really the king didn't even know what people he was having killed right um so the problem now is okay we have um something out there that says kill the jews and we can't revoke it yeah and So, so and then so now you have this repetition this is the third time i think this has happened in the book where it's like there's an edict that's written in every language uh, so that everyone can hear and understand. Do what? Yeah. You want, and, huh? You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Or do you have anything else to say uh, oh, about no. that part? Oh, no. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I, I, I had it. forgotten that we hadn't actually got to that part yet. <laughs> so, sorry about that. But, yeah, anyways, um, so you kind of have, uh, yeah, I guess just go ahead and start reading it. Okay. Yeah. At once the royal secretaries were summoned. On the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan, they wrote, they wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the satraps, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed the dispatches, with the king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses especially bred for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and their children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers, riding the royal horses, raced out, spurred on by the king's command. 
and the edict was also issued in the citadel of Susa. Mordecai left the king's presence wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the, joy, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city, wherever the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. All right. So, like I said, like I was talking about before, they, you know, they seem to make this, uh, this edict, um, you know, they, they write this thing down to try to overcome like what it is that's already gone out because that can't be revoked. Now we have to go write something else that's going to help overcome that. Uh, that we can't pull that back, but maybe we can write something else that's going to kind of circumvent that. And so the answer for that is that, hey, you know, you guys can defend yourselves. And maybe then that what will end up happening is that people will be afraid to attack you guys. And so it's like they're they're given the right to defend themselves if anybody tries to take anything mm-hmm. from them and, and kill them. Um, and... What I mentioned before, this is the third time that this has happened where an edict goes out that's written in every every tongue and every language uh, to all the provinces of the world. Um, and so and we'll kind of come back to that in a second. But uh, the the message just seems to be, hey, go out and tell tell everybody that this is how you can deal with this thing. You have any other thoughts on that? Um. Just kind of backing up to a little bit before that, I just remember thinking how King Xerxes just seems so lazy yeah. with this. Yeah, it's he just like, keeps giving it over to other people. It's to do like, what, okay, you know. yeah, this we can't revoke what Haman did. So, yeah, you, Esther, and Mordecai, you guys come up with something new yeah. like to, to try to fix this. Um, I mean, I guess... It's it's great that he gave them that power to do that, but it's just like he's still like it, this. The whole reason yeah. this is happening is his fault. Yeah, and it, it, one no matter which way you cut it, he was part of this happening, and yet it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. You guys figure out what you want it to say and send it out. It just seems like I'm starting to see this picture of him like loving banquets, always wanting to drink wine, having wine overflowing at his parties and not really like using his power he doesn't have a hard time making a decision to go to a banquet (laughs) right he makes really rash decisions yeah but then he also like just doesn't want to do anything that's that requires effort effort. (laughs) yeah it requires effort that's not just like a kill this person yeah don't kill that person right uh, you know, reward this person. Uh, he doesn't even come up with his own idea to how to reward. I know Mordecai. he's like bring Haman. Yeah, bring Haman in here. You let him, him give me the ideas. <laughs> uh, so he yeah he doesn't even come up with that on his own. Uh, really interesting. I, you know, I, Xerxes' character is very complicated to me, even though he doesn't do like anything. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, because I I think we keep tracking with him as like this image of humanity. You know, and we just kind of mm-hmm. keep giving over. You know, we're like, we let everybody, you know, we're totally fine with somebody else doing our job. But at the same time, very prideful. Yeah. And like, yeah. Kind of arrogant in some ways. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think I really see that tracking with with him. 
Um, but I, I want to, I think I want to take this and kind of overlay this with, with acts a little bit. Um, you have this, uh, you have, we talked about the gallows before the tree, you know, the tree of which, uh, in this, if, if I'm overlaying these stories, um, where sin and death is, is put, is actually given its death, you know, the death of death, uh, if you will, um, on the cross in in the in the the person of the messiah well uh what we have following this is now this this edict that's going out to all the nations all the peoples uh that you're you're free from the thing the death that was you were sentenced to you're now free from that um and so overlaying that with acts now i have acts chapter 2 where all, so they start speaking in tongues and they start like, everybody's like, I can hear my own language. And like, who, what's going on here? And they're like, we're not drunk. You know, this, it's just, you know, nine o'clock in the morning or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they go, they have their own language and the Great Commission is go out to all the nations preaching, you know, preaching the good news, you know, and telling them about what you've seen and that, hey, I'm, I'm king. Tell them, tell them that, you know, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me is what Jesus says is his great commission. So he's like sending them out and he's sending them out in every language, in every tongue, in every script. Mm-hmm. And so now I, if whenever I overlay those stories, these, these line up perfectly with what's happening yeah. with Acts. I've got the gallows and then I've got this, this, this joyous occasion yeah. that they're going out and they're like full of joy because they've been freed from their death sentence. Yeah. Uh, that is just beautiful to me. Whenever you start seeing those two things kind of overlaying, it's like, wow, like this is really cool. Like I I am just in love with that. And and I just see so much of what Jesus was talking about on the road to Emmaus. Like I, every time I come and read this, I'm like, "Oh, that's right there. There it is. There's Acts chapter 2 right there. Is it the joy that they're full of. You know, it says that um they were there was gladness and joy for the Jews, a banquet and a holiday. And so this is the Jubilee. This is the Jubilee that's happening. And many of the people uh from the country were posing as Jews or you're said that they became Jews. Yes. Um and so, you know, I, I hear Paul's letters in this where he's like, Hey, there's you know, these Gentiles are becoming he's like, I'm being sent to the Gentiles to help them become, you know, uh, followers of the Messiah that yes, there was, there were, you know, Israel was, you know, who God chose to be a light to the nations, but, um, that wasn't just for the sake of Israel. It was for the sake of the whole world, you know? And so it's like, yes, it was for them, but it was also for the whole world. And so now you have this picture of like, it's going out to all the nations, all these things that are, you know, like you've been freed from your death and that now all of these people are kind of coming into the family of God. Um, so that, that's a little, I see that there. That's, yeah. I think that, that that's going on. Um, so what do you make of Mordecai being, you know, his, I guess his uh, picture here? Well, um, you know, earlier we were talking about that pivot point mm-hmm. and um, the on the other side of the pivot point that we've already studied, we saw kind of a similar, well, we didn't see it, but we, you know, Haman 
was kind of lifted to this high position. And he was given the signet ring. Yes, and he was given the signet ring. And now Mordecai is given the signet ring. Right, and so now we're kind of on the other side of that with now kind of seeing Mordecai Mordecai being lifted up in that position. And... um, He's king. Yeah. It says, Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal clothing blue and uh, of blue cloth white linen and a great crown of gold and a robe of fine white linen and purple and the city of Susa was shouting and rejoicing and so i think you have the picture here of mordecai being displayed i guess and kind of uh, yeah it's in the presence of the king but i mean like he's in royal clothing like he's a he's mm-hmm. royalty now uh so now he's been exalted um, and there's all this, I mean, I just can't, I can't help but see, um, what happens with Jesus here and with, and with the people, uh, and with the church itself that, yeah. that Mordecai is kind of a picture of the church. We're in the, we're in the presence of the King. We're exalted. We're given, you know, Royal, Royal robes, you know, that Peter would call us a, you know, a holy nation God's special possession, those types of things that we are a kingdom of priests. We are God's special possession. And so, um, you know, I, I see the church and Mordecai as well. You know, there's a little bit of that there. I think it's kind on. of, it's kind of neat too, to see how they, the people of Susa go from like bewilderment and crying and, you know, mm-hmm. wearing, what was it there? What was it that they, he wore? Well, they Mordecai was wearing sackcloth and ashes. Yeah, yeah. You know. So he, to to go from wearing that just like a couple of chapters ago, where Esther's like trying to send him out, yeah, clothes to kind of this transformation. Like, it's just kind of um, probably not what he was expecting. You know, I mean, he just wanted he wanted the Jews to be safe. I don't think he ever expected this kind of. Yeah, I don't um, I don't think it was in his plans to be king. Right. You know, or to be to have the signet ring of the king. Right. I mean, he seems humble, like he's humble and again we have that repetition of God's character, Yahweh's character of exalting the humble. Yeah. And bringing down the proud and um and so I see that displayed in this in this story and again since even though God's not mentioned, I think it's like you you have to be able to see yeah. How he's redeeming his people in this story. And not just the people here in Susa, but the, how this reflects, you know, uh, the idea here is that the Jews aren't just here. They're also back in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you know, Ezra and Nehemiah time frame. Um, and the, this thing that's happened out there has saved their lives too. Yeah. And how God's redeemed his people um, and how he's working, you know, working in ways that we can't see. I mean, it's like the people in Jerusalem can't see this going on. Right. And so just the same, it's like you don't see God and like you don't see God's name in this, but it's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's very clearly going on. So I think, I think there's that, um, you know, that just like literary art with this. Like, I I think we have to be in awe of that. This isn't like a stupid book. You know, this is something, somebody really spent a lot of time thinking about this. Right. And I think it's really cool when we, when we honor it. You have any other thoughts on these these two chapters? I don't think so. Next week we'll get to um, finish the book of Esther. Yeah, for chapters sure. Chapters 9 and 10. Yeah. So that'll be fun. All right. Well, thanks, guys. You all have a great week.